And Wes and I have been talking about getting another group started on that copying. So if you, if that sounds like something that might be attractive to you, uh, watch for notification because I think we're, I think we're going to do that again. So, all right. Well, today, what I want to do is go to the book of Philippians that a lot of people here have been uh, considering already. I want to go to chapter 3 and uh, spend a couple weeks on this as we work on this transformation theme. So for, uh, for the last couple weeks we've been on this wisdom pyramid and uh, <clears throat> thinking about the different levels and uh, last week we uh, had this thesis, pay attention to what you are feeding on. You are what you eat. And that's, uh, <clears throat> that's uh, quite true in the spiritual area as well. But let's say, well, we agree on that, and we're going to try to make an effort to have a balanced diet of intake. And we recognize the, the fundamental importance of Scripture as as the key to what we're taking in, the key to our growth and what we're becoming uh, or hoping to become in the school of the Messiah. Well, the question still remains then, uh, the Bible is uh, a lot of material. And to say that it is all true, which is what uh, historic Christian faith has affirmed about Scripture that all of it gives us uh, God speaking, the, the question still then becomes, well, with all of that material, what's the most important material that we need to consider? What are the central uh, truths? It's important, I think, for us to say to ourselves, uh, if Scripture is all true... Uh, how do we value that? Obviously, things can be true but not be as important as other things. Right? So, so Moses tells us in Deuteronomy that when the Israelites fought the battle against Og, king of Bashan, that they discovered, he was a big guy apparently, they discovered that he had a bed decorated with iron that was about 13 feet long. Well, so we take that as a true historical account, right? But in level of importance, it's, it's not real. I mean, you can get along without knowing that. So it's true, but it doesn't have the same value or as importance as other things. So what are, what are the central truths that we need to grasp in this this issue of transformation in the school of Messiah. I think Philippians chapter 3 is one of the most important sections in the New Testament in focusing us on the central truths. So I want to start on it today. We have, uh, we have limited time, but I want to get started on it, and then in the next week or two we'll look at it more deeply. So let's Read those 12 verses. 
Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And uh, you see in that verse 12 that Paul is thinking transformation, isn't he? He is pressing on. He hasn't arrived at the goal yet, but he's moving toward it, toward it with uh, deliberation. I think that's the process of of transformation. So let's, let's think about what Paul says of his own biography in this section. His life BC, before his meeting with Jesus, the risen Lord on the Damascus Road. What was that life like? Well, Paul describes it as life in the flesh. Verse 3, it is we who are the circumcision, that is, we Christians are the circumcision, the, the true Jew. That's, that's really what that's saying, right? We're the true Jews who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, <clears throat> flesh for Paul sometimes has the meaning of, uh, of evil, of, of power that functions with him and him almost against his will. Uh, that's especially clear, I think, in Romans chapter 7 when he says, uh, I know that in, my, that in me, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. 
Uh, that's clearly that negative force that he's bucking up against, and he says, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I want to do the right thing, and yet I find that when I do, evil is right there with me. So you understand that tension. You, you live with that as well, right? But that's not the way he always uses flesh. And, and here in Philippians 3, it seems to me it's, it's different. It's more neutral. It's, well, flesh can refer to your body, right? That's the, the primary sense of it. So it's almost like life in the flesh is life in your body, life, life in this world. And it's all the stuff that goes into making up that life a lot of it's not evil or bad. It's, it's just the way we do life. So we have certain things that we're born with, certain strengths, certain abilities, certain advantages, right? So maybe you were born with artistic ability. You're good musically. You're good with graphic arts. Or maybe you have more of a technological bent, so you, you need the, the ruler and the calculator and all that stuff, and you can design things. You can build machines. Or, or maybe you just like teaching and, and scholarship, so you, you've got a college degree and, and you're instructing other people and or you're a craftsman, whatever it is, there's certain, there's certain abilities you have been born with, certain qualities and traits, and then along with that, there's, there's what you've done with those things. You've developed your skills. And all of that, for Paul, is life in the flesh. Right? Uh, and he gives us his own, a little bit of his own biography to highlight that. He describes himself as a, uh, as a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he, he's, a, he's a Jew who knew how to do Judaism. And, uh, and he, he had that heritage and he rejoiced in that heritage. He lived, he lived in it. So when he says he's not only a Hebrew of Hebrews, but he's of the tribe of Benjamin. That's part of his heritage. Benjamin is one of the small tribes, right? And just north of Jerusalem, so it has a protective place around the capital. And uh, it's, a, it's a warrior tribe. Who, who was Israel's first king? Saul. Saul was from what tribe? Benjamin. Paul's parents named him what? Saul. Yeah, right? He became Paul later. His given name at birth was Saul. He's a Benjamite named by his parents Saul. That's a heritage, right? You're named after Israel's first king. There's a lot of pride going on there and, you know, some, 
I guess you'd say justifiable pride. And he goes on from there to say that he was uh, trained as a Pharisee. We know that he studied under one of the leading rabbis in Jerusalem in his day, under Gamaliel. So he's taken his heritage. He's also taken his obviously considerable ability. I mean, anyone who has studied Saul, even unbelieving people, or Paul, recognizes that he had an extraordinary mind. And, and he applied himself. So he got the award for up-and-coming young rabbi of the year, along about A.D. 30 or 33 or so. So <clears throat> this is life in the flesh for Paul. And you've got life in the flesh too. You've got certain advantages and gifts and, and we live with those things. And as we do, we come to rely on those gifts and advantages. We have confidence in them. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying that he... Now, currently, he says, as a believer, I have no confidence in the flesh, in all that stuff, all that advantage I had. But he says in verse 4, I myself have reasons for such confidence. So he understands it. He, he did live that way, trusting in his heritage, trusting in his abilities. And that's very much the case with you and me. We are encouraged to trust ourselves, to trust what we can do, to trust the various techniques we've used, learned to navigate through the world. We rely on ourselves. And what comes out of that, Paul says, is boasting. Because this confidence in the flesh quickly leads us into competition with one another in some sort or fashion. And we're very conscious of where we see ourselves in the race of life. Paul is saying, uh, if I wanted to play that game, I could play it well, and I did play it well. The problem is it leads to boasting, and that, that brings us back to where we started this whole study of transformation, right? We studied it out by the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing people, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is that process of transformation, of turning back of reevaluating our lives and aligning, seeking to have them aligned with the kingdom of God. And as we talked about that, we talked about this uh, shame honor continuum. <clears throat> we're all on that continuum somewhere. We're, we're, if we think about it, we, we kind of have our sense of where on that yellow slide we are, huh? 
The farther up we are in the way we perceive ourselves, the more honor, the more success we feel we've gained, the more we hear the message, I am worthy, I'm a good person, I'm acceptable, I'm lovable. Or if we feel like we've, we're sliding down or we're, you know, that the movement in the other direction is shame and failure. And that sends the message to us, I am unworthy, I'm inadequate, I'm unlovable, I am not the kind of person I would like to be. So John's baptizing and the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, come out to see what he's doing. You remember that? And they, they don't come out to be baptized. Uh, they come out to see what's going on and they don't come to be baptized because they don't have a sense that they need conversion or transformation. They are at the top of their game. As Paul saw himself, what he's saying in Philippians chapter 3 is, I was at the top of the game. If If you want to talk those relative honor, success, shame, failure. If you want to talk that way, I'm the guy in the front. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In regard to the requirements of the law, blameless. I'm a Pharisee. So if Paul were with those leaders who came out from Jerusalem, and you know, It's possible he was. We're just not told that. But certainly he would have known about it. But those Jewish leaders, they're not there for baptism because they don't sense any need for change. They're high on the scale. The people that need it, in their view, are the ordinary people or even more so the sinners, the marginalized, uh, the people that everybody understands are properly at the bottom, right? The the prostitutes, the tax collectors, uh, the shepherds, uh, people that don't have any status. So Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3, I get that whole thing and I was, that's the way I functioned. My life in the flesh was a life that signaled success, Honor, goodness, acceptability. I had all of that. But then Paul had that extraordinary experience in the midst of persecuting the followers of the Messiah, of Jesus. Uh, He was struck down on the Damascus Road and had an encounter with the risen Jesus that launched him into a new life, a transformed life. And it's that new life that we're going to try to think about over the next few weeks, but let's just, let's just start what that is. I think key verse is verse 9 here, where Paul tells us 
that all of his past, verse 8, he, he now considers garbage, all, all of that stuff in the flesh. He considers it garbage that he may gain Christ and be found in him. Now that, that's a key phrase. It's very common in Paul. It's maybe the briefest summary of what the new life for him looks like. It's that phrase, in him or in Christ. But in Christ is probably more frequent, but that's obviously what he's saying here. Sometimes he'll say it a little differently. Sometimes he'll say Christ in you, but that's very unusual. Sometimes he'll say with Christ or with him. But this is the most common, in Christ. And, and I know that always puzzled me for years and years, what Paul was getting at. And uh, if it puzzles you, be comforted, because it still puzzles me. And there's been lots of books written on this. Uh, so I try to keep it simple and, and hope that I can at least get part of what Paul is talking about. And, and one of the most helpful things to me to, to try to understand Paul here is to think of, of Jesus, the living risen Lord as a person of influence, a person who, who has influence, a sphere of influence around him. I think it's at, occasionally we've talked about this before and, and talked about a magnetic field, right? But a force field. But you can think about influence. You can think about Maybe people of, of significant power that you've been near. Maybe you don't know them personally, but you've just been near them. Sometimes celebrities have this kind of impact on people or uh, political figures or, or whatnot. You know? And, and you, get in, you get near them and you feel a kind of energy. <laughs> there's impact, there's influence there. Well, Jesus, for Paul now, is the ultimate center of power and influence. To be found in Christ, as he talks about it, is to be within that circle or sphere of influence. His, he is somehow now experienced a connection with this Jesus who appeared to him. But he's experienced this connection with Jesus that is impacting his life. And what it has led him to is a revaluation of the way he thinks about himself and indeed about all human life. It leads to what I'd call the great revaluation. Remember Paul? Paul understands the, the honor-shame continuum. And He's been on it. He's seen himself on it, and he's seen himself as the top of the game. And he says, if, if I wanted to continue playing that game, I, I could, but I don't want to anymore. Because I've experienced something totally different. I've experienced this life in Christ, this life in connection with him, which subverts and ultimately destroys the shame-honor continuum. I can get off of that game. 
I put no confidence in the flesh. That's, that's what he says in verse 3. It is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. See, on the shame-honor continuum, you, you end up boasting in yourself. That, that's inevitable. Because your confidence is in yourself. But in this new life in Christ, we're off of that. And so he says, we are those who boast in Christ Jesus, not in ourselves, and who put no confidence in the flesh. All those natural abilities, all those cultivated abilities, all those connections, all that, there's a great revaluation that takes place. I have no confidence in the flesh. Instead, what I end up developing is a confidence in Jesus, a growing confidence in who he is, and we'll talk about this in our next time together. But the goal now for Paul becomes not that of excelling as a Pharisee, of keeping the law in a faultless way, of being zealous against the followers of Jesus, and proving that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews, that's, that's all behind him. In one sense, he will come to say being a Hebrew doesn't even matter anymore. I mean, that's, that's pretty stunning, huh? Which is, why, which is why they tried to kill him just as they killed Jesus. The important thing he says now is knowing Christ. I want, to be, I want to be in his sphere or circle of influence. And in that sphere, I want to get to know him. That's the goal. He says it, he says it twice in verse 8 and verse 10. Notice here, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is worthless. That's all the flesh stuff. Even the good flesh stuff. That has no value compared. Now, in a restricted sense, those things do have some value, right? I mean, if, if you have a family that has brought you up well and has built certain things into you? Does that have value? Well, yeah, it's got some value. We can be thankful for that. But Paul's talking comparatively here. And comparatively, he says, compared with knowing Christ, all of those things that in themselves have some advantage and that people look to, all of that is worthless in comparison. I want to know Christ Jesus my Lord. I'm in his sphere of influence. That's where I want to be found. And within that, I want to devote myself to knowing him deeply, personally. And that's where I have to stop today. But you can spend some time this week, if you'd like, reading those 12 verses again and thinking about what he has to say about this. What does this life in Christ look like? And we'll pick this up again next week. So 
Uh, let's pray. And then I see the sun is shining, so I hope some of you are going to be able to come back and join us at the picnic. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we want to be changed people. We need to be changed people. And we need to get off this merry-go-round of constantly comparing ourselves with others and competing and having confidence in what we have achieved and feeling embarrassed about the places where we fail. Uh, we just like to be free of that. And we believe that in Jesus, you call us to just that kind of freedom. And so as we spend a few weeks here reflecting on this idea of being in him, influenced by him, transformed by knowing him, Lord, will you create deeper desire in us to know him and to love him and to understand experientially what this new life looks like. We ask it in his name. Amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with us all. Amen.